Well, friends, we come this morning to the uh, second part uh, of our series, looking at the jealousy of God, uh, a topic uh, that is not easy to find resources on, uh, a topic that I uh, imagine stirs our hearts and emotions and put walls up, puts walls up straight away. Uh, like Des said last week, it is probably a, a, a subject matter with regards to the uh, character and nature of God uh, that rubs us up even the wrong way, even more than the idea of His wrath and His anger and His judgment. And yet as we look through the scriptures, we discover that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God of the whole Bible is in fact a jealous God. It is not a title that humans ascribe to Him, but rather that God ascribes to Himself. I am a jealous God. My name is Jealous. And as we set out on this second part, not looking this morning at the, the character and nature and person of God, that's what we looked at last week, and if you missed last week, I really would encourage you to go back and listen to the recording uh, and catch up on the series. Uh, this morning, we're looking at, uh, or asking the question is, what does the jealousy of God call for? So last week, we, lo- we looked at what the jealousy of God is. This morning, we are looking at what does the jealousy of God call for? How does the jealousy of God relate to the people of God? How does the jealousy of God relate to me as one of the people of God? What is it that God desires from me? And I think at the outset, it's, it is important because we're talking um, the English language here to just define a little bit of what we mean when we talk about jealousy so that we can better understand what we're talking about when we talk about the jealousy of God. We have two words in the English language that we can sometimes use interchangeably, but that actually mean two very different things. And if we attach the wrong meaning to the wrong word, um, we will muddle up in our own minds and confuse in our own minds and become foggy in our own minds what it is that we're talking about when we speak of the jealousy of God. The two words in the English language are envy and jealousy. When God calls himself jealous, he doesn't call himself envious. God doesn't envy us. When, when we define those two words, we, we understand them to mean, firstly, with regards to envy. Uh, envy is a reaction to something that I don't have. Uh, so God, in the Ten Commandments, says that you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, cow, donkey, etc., etc. You shall not covet. Uh, that's what envy is. Envy is wanting something that someone else has that I don't have and wanting it to be mine. Envy, as it were, to make it really simple, is basically between two things, or between two people. That's what envy is. You have it, I want it, I envy it. That isn't actually fundamentally what jealousy is. Jealousy actually arises primarily out of and within the context of relationships. Jealousy is something that is relational. Jealousy is not the reaction of wanting something that I don't have. Jealousy is a reaction to the threat of of losing something that I do have. And whereas envy usually takes place between two, jealousy takes place between three. It's the threat of losing something, usually someone, to someone else. That is what jealousy is. Um, And so as you uh, 
worry or are concerned about losing that something that you have already, that someone that you have to someone else, that is jealousy. Uh, that's where it comes from. And I think that that's a really important thing and concept to understand as we think about God's jealousy and the people of God. God's jealousy and what it calls for. God's jealousy and God's desire for me. Uh, because all the time that the Bible talks about God's jealousy, that God is jealous, that His people are not to provoke His jealousy, at the heart, the outworking of the heart of God's jealousy is the threat of His people losing their God. Jealousy always takes place, the warning to not provoke God to jealousy, always takes place in the Old Testament in the context of God's people going out and worshipping other gods, worshipping other idols. It always fits in the context of idolatry. So there's your three things. God, us, idols. The threat is that God will lose us to idols. Although it's interesting because it's not so much that God loses us so much as we lose God and all the benefits that are bound up in God. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. In the New Testament, it's still this idea of keeping ourselves from idols, uh, but it expands on it. And Paul expands on it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in our Bible reading this morning, where he is jealous for the Corinthians with a godly jealousy because they are in danger and at risk of being led astray from their sincere and pure devotion to Christ. They're at threat of being led away from their sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And fundamentally, that's what idolatry is. Idolatry leads us away from our sincere and pure devotion to the God of the Bible, the only God who can save us. And so Paul sort of talks about this angered love that he has for them because he knows that should they or any of the people of God give themselves to idols, give up their sincere and pure devotion to Christ, they will be robbed of their salvation. God's jealousy is, is, is angered love that is always able to stay love because he wants what is at the heart of our ultimate best and at the heart of our ultimate good. And at the heart of what is at our ultimate best and at our, our ultimate good, at the heart of what God desires for us, okay? So I know that I lose some people after seven minutes, so I'm about to get there. So let me tell you now, if you take nothing out of this, what does God desire from you? He desires from you your relationship. He desires from you a relationship with you, a unique relationship, a pure relationship, a completely devoted relationship with Him. Not because He's envious of you. God can't envy us. There's nothing that we have that God wants. It's because, and we're going to keep saying this the whole time, God is jealous for us. He's jealous for us because as we heard in our reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. And so, and this is my first point this morning, uh, if this whole thing around God's jealousy is around relationship, I only have two points. And the first one is the need for relationship. The second point is going to be about the type of relationship that God wants. 
But the first point, first note, is this need for relationship. Why do we need a relationship with God? And why is God so jealous for that relationship and then jealous to guard that relationship and then warns us about his jealousy being provoked if we go out and serve other gods or other idols and break devotion and break fellowship with him? And very simply, the need for the relationship is bound up in salvation. God doesn't need the relationship, but we do. We desperately need that relationship. We learned last week that God is jealous for his deity. He's jealous for his uh, glory. And he's jealous for salvation. Because... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one Lord, there is only one God, and therefore there is only one means of being saved. So when God is jealous for us, he is jealous for this relationship because bound up in having this right relationship with God, this singular relationship with God, our salvation is tied to that. In the Old Testament, and actually even today, this is quite a unique thing. In the Old Testament, um, and even in other religions today, we see that there are a multiplicity of gods. Gods for this and gods for that. Gods for the sun, gods for the earth, gods for love, gods for family, and the list just goes on and on and on. There's all these other gods. And so you were kind of meant to just make sure that you worshipped all the gods as a little bit of an insurance policy. So syncretism, pluralism was encouraged. The concept of a God being jealous was strange. It was strange because you had to make sure that you were appeasing all the gods along the way to make sure that uh, life worked out the way that it was supposed to. And then the God of Israel comes along and says, "Uh uh-uh, there's one God. I am Him. You shall worship, serve, and love no others. And I am jealous for you and jealous for your affections and for your devotions. Why? Not because God is some kind of narcissist. Not because God is on some kind of ego trip. Not because God needs something from us. But because God knows that the only way by which we can be saved is in and through Him. So when God talks about these ways and his jealousy for us, it is actually for our ultimate good. That is why we need this relationships. Uh, The God of the Bible comes along and says, it's not about compromise, it's about pure devotion. Because this relationship is unique, it doesn't come along like any other set of relationships. God says, I don't want you to treat me the way that you treat any other gods. I don't want you to treat me the way that you treat any other things. I don't want you to treat me the way that you treat any other person. I don't want you to treat my relationship the way that you treat any other relationship. I want your exclusive commitment. I want to be at the center of your life, and I want it to be a love relationship. So that when you think about this relationship and this need for it, it's, it's not like your, um, your Facebook and your friends on there. It's not like your schoolyard friendships or your university friendships. It's more akin to the unique relationship of a husband and a wife, of a marriage. It's more like being part of a family, 
uh, and, and the devotion that that brings with it. So, so that's the first thing, is this, the need for this relationship is that God recognizes and knows that we can't be saved apart from it. That's the first thing. So when you think about God's jealousy, don't think about it as a, a, grumpy, a, a grumpy person who wants something that you have. Think about it as someone who loves you so dearly, who is so jealous for you, that he will go all the way to the cross. God is so jealous for us that he will send his son to die for us as that once-off perfect sacrifice for all time in order to bring us back into that relationship with him, forgiven of our sins and made perfect through the shed blood of Christ. That is the outworking of the jealousy of God for us, but it's also why we so desperately need God's jealousy and this relationship that it brings. Here's the second thing that we need to understand about what it is that God wants, what it is that God desires from us, what it is that God desires for us. What is the the type of relationship? Okay, the type of relationship. So the need for the relationship and the type of the relationship. What kind of relationship does God want to have with you? What is this relationship calling for? Well, I think it's calling for three things. Uh, And I found Tim Keller incredibly helpful uh, on these points. So I do need to uh, ascribe a little bit of a footnote there. Uh, Keller is really helpful in bringing these out. And he says that there's basically three things that God wants in this relationship. The first one is this. God wants our priority. The first is priority. God first and above all things. So he says that you shall have no other gods before me. When we talk about this priority, it is the putting to death of idolatry, the worshiping and serving of other gods, but bearing in mind that anything, even a good thing, if it becomes an ultimate thing, if we make it an ultimate thing, can become an idol. Work, money, sex, marriage, family, power, career, and the financial independence, the list goes on. Anything, even a good thing, when we make it an ultimate thing, becomes an idol. God wants our priority. He doesn't want our affection or our attention split between himself and something else. And we recognize that we can have relationships with inanimate objects, as it were. That our relationships often go beyond the bounds of living human things. We're like, yeah, obviously I can have a relationship with my dog or my cat, and I could maybe turn them into an idol. But we can have an unhealthy relationship with our work, an unhealthy relationship with our money, an unhealthy relationship with a substance. Uh, Those are all ways, and God is saying, no, no, this relationship, my relationship, Your relationship with me, that must be 
your priority. That's the type of relationship that I want. If you love anything more than me, then that is an idol. And that will provoke my jealousy. Why? Because I love you and my love for you is the only thing that can save you. You know, it's natural for a spouse to want and say and to desire to have first place, for your husband to have first place, for your wife to have first place. And I think that you'll find when you stop and think about it, especially as we as a congregation have all gotten older over the years, to discover that oftentimes when we watch marriages break down, it's not because of something particularly bad or something particularly evil, although it does happen. Oftentimes we see and hear of marriages breaking down just because something came into the marriage, a sport, a leisure, a career path, that became the hope, the the functional spouse within the marriage, within that relationship. So that we stopped practicing priority with our husband. We stopped practicing priority with our wife. And we started putting our hope, our joy, and our pleasure, our priority, onto or into something, and in some cases, someone else. And so it is with our relationship with the Lord. It's oftentimes not that our relationship with Him breaks up over some gross sin. In actual fact, it's interesting to see how sometimes someone can can commit a gross sin and be restored and brought back into their relationship with God. Our relationship with God oftentimes breaks up or breaks down over little things that creep in over a long period of time that undermine and undercut and cause us to drift away from God being the priority of everything in our life. You can tell what is your real hope, what is your real joy. Don't think that God is blind, that He is unaware of what takes place in your thoughts and your hearts. He can perceive the idols in your hearts and He understands the secret things that your soul longs for. And so as we think about the jealousy of God, as we understand that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, as we listen to these words in Deuteronomy that tell us to be careful not to forget. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, you're going to go into a land that I promised you, but just remember, you didn't build the cities, you didn't build the houses, you didn't plant the vineyards, you actually didn't do anything. I promised it to you, I'm giving it to you, you did nothing, you didn't rescue yourselves out of Egypt, you didn't fight a war, I did all of that, and when you get there, when you arrive in that place, do you know what will happen? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. And then he goes on. Fear the Lord God and serve Him only. What kind of language is that? It's the language of priority. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. What's that? It's idolatry. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you 
Why? Because he knows that when you chase after those things, they will destroy you. His anger burns against you because of your actions. Because you've abandoned him as your first love. God's saying, I don't want you to serve me and go through the motions and go to church and follow the Ten Commandments. I want you to love me because I have loved you. I want you to love me and I want to have the priority of your life. And if there's anything that gives you more joy or more hope than, my relation, than, than your relationship with me, anything that's more important to you than your relationship with me, you will provoke my jealousy because I want this relationship with you because I want to save you. The second thing after priority is the idea of fidelity. So priority, fidelity. Fidelity is loving me and keeping my commandments. The Ten Commandments is showing that us that God is a jealous God. Back in Exodus chapter 20, uh, we read, God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. That is, make them your priority. Show them fidelity. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the Father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But wait, but, but but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God wants our fidelity. He wants us to keep his commandments out of love and because of love for him. Uh, by keeping the commandments, by keeping God's law, by knowing God's heart, by knowing his desires, we are effectively saying to him, Lord, have me, hold me, keep me. We, when we practice obedience, we are practicing faithfulness. We are practicing this fidelity. And the question that probably comes to mind, though, is, is why? Why, why, would we, why would we do that? Well. If you carry on with this unique relationship and the unique relationship of marriage, understanding that God's jealousy functions in the realms of marriage and not so much in the realms of friendship, what we, what we begin to understand, what we begin to make sense of is that God says, I love you, I want you to love me, and, and because I'm God, and it's difficult for you to understand me and fathom me, let me... Let me write you a letter. Let me write you a love letter. Let me write you a romantic letter. Do you remember when you were young in your relationship and you wrote letters and gave cards? Anybody remember that? No? Yeah. Anyways, so there was a time when we did that. We wrote each other letters, cards. We, we expressed our feelings. We revealed our hearts. There's an element whereby the, the Ten Commandments... We're, we're actually to, to view God's Word and even the Ten Commandments and His law in a romantic way. They're, they're God's letter to us. They're His love letter to us. You know, He's not like a spouse who says, like, you need to just figure out 
kind of love me. He's like, you know, you know that one where you're like, what's wrong? Nothing. And then you know. You know. Nothing's wrong. You know. He doesn't say, figure out how to love me. He says, no, no, here's how you love me. Here's how you please me. Here's how you show your fidelity. He's so gracious that he doesn't make us figure out the relationship on his own. He's so good. He's so kind. He's so merciful that he says, here. Here's how you love me. Here's how you show your fidelity by obeying me. And what we've got to understand is that in this act of obedience, what God is actually doing is he's making us holy. God is committed to making you breathtakingly beautiful. That, that is his love. He, 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 and he can only do that when all the flaws are gone. And only when all the flaws are gone and, he can, and he's loving us in this way can we finally be happy. You see, is it God's job to come down and, and to make me happy? Well, yes, but also we've got to understand that. God, God is working towards making me happy, but you know that you'll only be happy when you're holy. A happiness is on that far side of your holiness, which is what God is working towards. Let, let me just try and explain that. Um, imagine that God uh, came down here to meet your needs and to make you happy. Would you want him to do that with your five-year-old? To just give your five-year-old everything that your five-year-old wanted to make them happy and to meet their perceived needs? I guarantee you, your five-year-old would be dead by the end of the day. Imagine if you did that for your 15-year-old. Your 15-year-old would be dead by lunchtime. What about your 25-year-old self? And then you begin to think, no, but I'm, you know, what, I, I, if my 25-year-old self knew what my 50-year-old self knew, well then. But, but do you understand, like, if, if God gave me my perceived needs and my perceived happiness on this side of, of my holiness, I'd kill myself. I would destroy myself. Because I actually don't know what I need to make myself happy. I don't, I don't understand it. And, and so what God is doing in this call to fidelity, in this call to become more uh, like himself, in this call to take on his character traits, he's leading me uh, towards holiness. If God were to start meeting your needs now, he wouldn't actually be a loving God. His jealous love is to turn you into the kind of person who is holy and wise and good, and therefore you will be happy. But only when you get there, not here. He's working towards your happiness, towards your ultimate happiness. But we've got to be careful when we think about that. Because if God just gave us everything that we wanted, if he was just this genie in the sky, uh, or Des and I spoke about this, if he's, you, know, you think about the relationship that a parent has with their child and the relationship that a grandparent has with their child. You know what, my, I'm going to just do this because we're just one big family, but you know, like, my kids love going to Des and Jenny because they give them ice cream for breakfast. And we hear about it afterwards and we freak out. And it's because they just want our kids to like them. That's it. Just like us. You know, you'd, you'd never do that as a parent. We can sometimes think about God like that grandfather in the sky. God, you know, just give me what, we, what I want and just make me happy. And then go away until the next time I want ice cream for breakfast. But he's not like that. He's like a, a father. Uh, he's, he's like a husband. C.S. Lewis we began this quote last week, you asked for a loving God and you have one. 
And the quote goes on to say, the Lord is not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. He's not uh, the cold philanthropy of, uh, of a conscientious magistrate. No, he is a consuming fire, a love that made the world, persistent as the artist's love for his work, and provident and venerable as a father's love for a child, jealous, inexorable, exacting as love between a husband and a wife. What we here call our happiness is not the end that God has chiefly in view when he loves us, because only when we are as he can love us, without impediments, will we in fact only be truly happy. And that is why God calls for our fidelity, which manifests itself in our faithful obedience to all that he has called us to be in his word. And when we finally arrive at that day, we will find true happiness. And we will look back, our 50-year-old self will look back at our 5-year-old self and think, how on earth could we have ever thought that that would make us happy? It would have killed us. When we look back in our eternal state with our new bodies in the new heavens and the new earth and the home of righteousness, we will look back at our 50-year-old self and we will look back at this life and think, how could we have ever thought that that was happiness? God was saving me for this. The third thing that God calls for is uh, priority, it is fidelity, and lastly, it is intimacy. God enters into a relationship with us and he says, I give myself to you and I want you to give yourself to me. What does God desire from us? He desires for us to sit back and say, God, you are my God. There is no other. He desires, he, he says, I am yours. I am giving myself to you. I am opening myself to you. Let us be intimate. In Deuteronomy 26 to 18, the Lord declared that you are a people for his treasured possession and he has promised you and you are to keep all his commandments. In Jeremiah 7.23, he says, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. In Jeremiah 31, we read that this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. He's talking about a new covenant in Jesus, and he says, I will put my law within them. So you can actually begin to see in, in these verses, you actually have priority, fidelity, and intimacy working itself out. I will put my law within them, there's fidelity, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will be your husband, and you shall be my wife. I will be your father, and you shall be my children. And you begin to understand what it is that God is jealous for. He is jealous for something that is completely unique in all the relationships of our life, something that presupposes everything else that we do, something in, that informs every thought, every action, every emotion, every word. In 2 Corinthians 6, we read, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. In our call to worship, Joel read that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, a possession of his that you might proclaim the 
excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. And in Revelation 21, at the end of the Bible, we read that the one who conquers will have this heritage. The one who conquers is talking about us. This will be our heritage. So the one who overcomes, the one who conquers, here is your heritage. I will be his God. And he will be my son. God calls for that level of intimacy from us. So friends, let me ask you this morning as we draw this to a close. What kind of relationship do you want to have with God? You see, on one level, I've told you all about the relationship that God wants to have with you. The relationship that he desires for you. The reason why he desires that relationship in the first place. What kind of relationship do you want to have with him? Do you want this relationship? This relationship of this benevolent God who desires your ultimate good and your ultimate happiness and is working all of history out for that? You know, let, me, let, me, let me break it down to street level because we've actually got to look in the mirror and measure ourselves up against this. You know, when you think about priority and fidelity, when you think about intimacy, how do you use your day? How do you use your time? What do you do? What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? What's the last thing that you do before bed? How do you think about your own salvation and eternity? Do you think that you'll enter heaven by your own strength and through your own self-righteousness? Do you say that I won't bow down before God's grace, but rather I am self-sufficient and I will save myself? When you think about your life and what you've accomplished in your life or this week or today, do you glory in your own power and intelligence, forgetting uh, in that moment that power belongs only to God and thereby provoke his jealousy? Uh, Do we uh, crown ourselves every day or do we crown him and let our holy obedience, our devout lives uh, be lived out? Do we heartily accept him and his will for us? Is it our life marked and characterized by reverent adoration and praise before the greatness of his majesty? Uh, Do we acknowledge him to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Are we like Herod? Remember Herod back in Acts chapter 12 who got struck down because of his own glory and eaten by worms? That was just a couple weeks ago in church, by the way. Are we, uh, we must beware of our own uh, vain glory. When we think about God's jealousy, as much as it is there as a stark warning not to provoke it, not to provoke it, to be mindful of it, it is also something that says, let us be glad and joyful that he is. A jealous God. Yes, it's enough to make us walk carefully every moment of every day, but it also should inform our joy of Him to think that the Lord is jealous of His honor. And because He's jealous of His honor, He's jealous for you. Our joy is bound up in remembering that His honor is bound up in Christ. And if we believe in Christ, then we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we are safe. For we are hidden behind the jealousy of God, and no enemy can touch us or get to us. God's glory is wrapped up with my salvation, and the one, my salvation, cannot fail, because the other, God's glory, will not be tarnished. 
And so, friends, may our lives and conduct and conversation prove God's jealousy for our hearts. Uh, Let us be jealous of our own hearts that they should not depart from Him. Let us put to death with an unrelenting resolve and with great courage every sin that so easily entangles. What does God desire from you? He desires to be your God and for you to be His child. He desires to be your perfect, faithful, loving husband. He desires that you submit to his call and love him like this. He calls for your sincere devotion and commitment. In Romans chapter 12, we read these words, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, which he shows because of his jealousy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's a strange phrase, isn't it, to be a living sacrifice? Sacrifices are dead things, aren't they? And here we're called to be living sacrifices, sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. You see, that's what he desires from us. That's what he desires for us in the context of his jealousy, in the context of this relationship, that we live every moment of every day of our life with him as our God, in the full knowledge that we are his people, no longer conforming to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, being drawn to that far side of our holiness that he's working towards. And then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Friends, I wonder this morning, now that you know of this relationship with God, is this the kind of relationship that you want to have with Him? Would you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, forgive us for times when we have failed you in in priority, in fidelity, in intimacy. Father, we thank you that you have promised to forgive us. We pray that you would raise us up. And we pray, Lord, that as we continue to think about your jealousy and your jealousy for us and this recognition that you're jealous for us because you're concerned that we might be lost to sin and to ourselves. Lord, that that would call us back and inform all that we say and all that we do and all that we think. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to end our time uh, by standing and singing together uh, of the uh, wonderful uh, news, uh, the wonderful um, and worthy praise that uh, the light of the world stepped down into our darkness, that he opened our eyes that we could see. So why don't you stand and let's sing together as we end our time.